Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. This is a Data Mesh Summit takeover week. Data Nova, the Data Mesh Summit, is next week, the Feb- February 9th and 10th. Ahead of the conference, I'm interviewing four of the presenters from the conference about topics related to Data Mesh, not necessarily about their talks either. In exchange, Starburst, who is putting on the Data Mesh Summit, will be sponsoring some transcripts for Data Mesh radio episodes, which is awesome. So please check out the show notes and sign up for the Data Mesh Summit using the link. And please let Starburst know that you want more transcripts too. It's really important for accessibility reasons. And now a quick word from Starburst about why you would want to attend Data Mesh Summit. Hi, I'm Jess. Here are the top six reasons you should attend Data Nova, the Data Mesh Summit. The next reason is that you get to take a data product masterclass with an experienced Accenture expert. Teresa Tung, Accenture's cloud-first chief technologist, will be delivering a class focused on data products, which are at the heart of the Data Mesh strategy. Here's a quick clip from Teresa's recent interview on theCUBE. I think they should start looking at their data projects and thinking about them as data products. I think just that mindset shift about thinking about who is this for, what's the business value, and then underneath that architecture and support comes fair. Back to the masterclass, first, she'll educate you on how to spot a data product opportunity and how to sell the data product concept internally. Second, you'll go through a guided workshop to help you process your data product opportunity and how to get started. You'll leave this one hour session with personalized next step content for helping your business build data products. So register now. Bottom line up front, what are you going to learn about and hear about? In this episode, I interviewed Dr. Daniel Abadi, tenured computer science professor at the University of Maryland, with a focus on scalable data management research. Dr. Abadi will be presenting next week at the Data Mesh Summit on Data Fabric and Data Mesh alongside Jamak and Sanjeev Mohan, who's a former Gartner analyst. We covered a lot about the core of data virtualization and how it can be applicable to a data mesh setup. We both agree that there are many places where data virtualization can play, whether in extracting information from operational systems, 
stitching together a data product once the data processing has been done within the data product, or at the mesh experience plane, recombining data across multiple data products. Dr. Abadi specifically mentioned something like query fabric. Mentioning Trino is no surprise given his role advising Starburst, but that a query fabric makes use of a data virtualization approach. So it's not just tools that only do data virtualization that we're talking about in this talk. We covered that a natural side effect of having multiple different technologies in use. When you give the domains the ability to use what they choose, there's a difficulty of combining data from multiple sources that needs to be solved. There's always a balance between how much you just copy data and how much you can access in the source system. As data virtualization has been around as a concept for 30 plus years, there's a lot of baggage with the term, but Dr. Abadi sees there being recent advancements in overall computing system and distributed systems that mean more people should take a second look at where data virtualization in general can be useful. But he also warns to do your homework and really think through whether they fit your use case, as you should for pretty much everything relative to data mesh. A query fabric can make your user experience much more pleasant. Trying to create data products entirely within a data virtualization platform probably won't be very pleasant, at least in my view. The future of data virtualization may be sharing a domain model as the data product, but that technology is just not there yet. So it's probably, Dr. Body says, five years down the road at the earliest. We talked about a number of other topics like retransmitting slash reprocessing data, versioning, the importance of denormalizing data for analytics and how that plays with data virtualization and a whole lot more. It is a really fascinating deep dive into the history of computing and how it impacts what we are trying to do today, all wrapped throughout with uh, some really interesting facts about data virtualization as well as opinions by Dr. Abadi. So don't forget to use the link in the show notes to sign up for the Data Mesh Summit and to learn more from Dr. Abadi and, and a lot of additional great speakers. And please thank Starburst for sponsoring the transcripts so they'll do more of them. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Really excited about today's episode here. I've got Dr. Daniel Abadi, who's the Darnell Knoll Professor of Computer Science at the University of Maryland. Uh, if you're not aware, Dr. Abadi has put out a lot of really great articles uh, on the Starburst blog around Data Mesh. He's, he's covered uh, multiple different things. He's going to be talking at uh, the Data Mesh Summit, Data Nova, next week as well, where he's, uh, you're, you're going to be covering, what, what's the topic for next week? We're talking about the data fabric versus the data mesh. I think that's the that's the the topic that we're, we're doing there. Which I, I didn't want to talk about today for a couple of reasons. One is I don't want to preempt the talk, but two, it's just that that thing just gets me. It gives me so many headaches trying to define <laughs> the data fabric side. We've had enough challenges defining data mesh. So, 
Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited. We're going to be talking about kind of data virtualization, where it might fit within data mesh, where are the challenges, how people might look at that. Um, but if, before we jump into that, Dr. Body, if you could give a little bit of an intro to yourself and your background about, um, and then like maybe how you came across data mesh and we can jump off from there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I, I, yeah, I'm like, like you mentioned, I'm a professor of computer science at, at UMass of Maryland. Uh, before I, I joined it four years ago at UMD. And before that, I was at Yale for nine years as a, as a uh, professor there as well. Uh, and before that, uh, I was at MIT doing my PhD. Uh, so, uh, so you know, through all those years, I've been doing research in data management and, and usually scalable data management. Um, so my PhD thesis was in C-Store, which was uh, one of the early column-oriented database systems uh, that became Vertiker. Uh, it was commercialized by my advisor, Mike Stonebreaker, became Vertiker, uh, and uh, that was sold to HP in 2011. Uh, and then I also did research in H-Store, which was a sort of scalable transactional database system uh, that was also commercialized into a company called VoltDB. Uh, and then when I was at Yale, uh, we did research in, in a, into a project called HadoopDB, uh, which uh, became Hadapt, uh, that, uh, which, which I myself commercialized with my co-founder, Justin Borgman, who is now the CEO of Starburst. Uh, so Justin and I go way back, um, and that sort of explains why I'm helping out Starburst a little bit with, with advisory duty, duties in the um, last few years. Um, as I'm, I'm sort of, I go way back with, with the CEO, Justin. Uh, anyway, so that's... Uh, uh, um, that that was adapt, and then um, I also sort of know from research in Calvin, which is um, uh, sort of another scalable transactional database system. Um, and uh, there's a few commercial versions of it out there, including Fauna, which uh, um, which has been around uh, I think around uh, six years now. Or so, uh, so anyway, so that's sort of uh, what I, what I do, uh, what I've been doing. I'm sort of very interested in scalable data management problems and and uh, seeing them out in the real world, making sure that people actually use <laughs> use the research that we do in the lab. Uh, so as far as the data mesh, um, sort of, you know, it's it's something that you know, um, uh, it's surprisingly making a lot of inroads into academia now. Um, so you know, I've uh, if you talk talk around at, at the real, at the at the Davis conferences like Sigma and VLDB, um, you know, and chat with people there. You know, they, people are talking about it uh, as uh, sort of an interesting alternative to traditional data warehousing and centralized data management. Uh, so uh, there hasn't been so many papers on it yet, but I, I expect there will be more and more papers sort of, you know, next few years on the data mesh. Uh, I think, you know, sort of it speaks right to the heart of um, sort of scalability, which is, you know, a big focus in our field. Um, so, you know, we... we um, as a uh, as a community, we've really focused on scaling the technology a lot, uh, as how to get data management systems to scale the petabytes of data. But we haven't spent so much time as a community thinking about the human side of it. And how do you scale the human work involved in managing data at scale at these big enterprises? And so, uh, so data mesh kind of comes in there uh, at the human side um, and sort of uh, sort of nicely complements a lot of the work we do on the technical side and in the community. Um, and so, being able to support that with with uh, underlying technologies that can help further the data mesh is something that I think the research community can really can, can really do a lot lot with. So, um, so anyway, that, that's how I, so I came into it. Um, and of course, also my my some advisor at Starburst, um, you know, Starburst. Um, uh, has you know fully embraced the data mesh um, in all kinds of different ways, um, and uh, and so um, so yeah, I sort of um, see it from the angle as well. Yeah, and and I hadn't really thought of this before, but you know when you think about distributed systems, it, it is about scaling that system is the way we focused on it. You know, coming from data stacks and data stacks 
recently um, kind of decomposed Cassandra. And so now you're managing it at the table level for the AstroDB stuff. And so it's not about, okay, we have to scale these huge uh, systems in and of themselves. Data Mesh is that same of like decomposing it. So we're building a scalable interaction point rather than these systems in most cases have to scale way, way up. And that's the the kind of decentralized architecture of there are certain cases where you're going to need that, especially on the operational side of these massive scale things. But on the data side, we want to decompose it into such a way where things are decoupled and that so they're scalable from that standpoint, but that they're also not, you're not throwing 8 million things on the same um, Kafka system or whatever. And so one becomes a noisy neighbor and it brings down <laughs> all these different pipelines and things like that. So I think it's it's an interesting topic. But um, specifically for, for today uh, around data virtualization, I before I, I kind of color the conversation or anything with my own view, I'd love to hear kind of how you're thinking about where data virtualization fits and maybe, you know, data virtualization, the technology or the, the approach versus the technologies and how, how you might even define that and where you think it might fit within data mesh. Sure. Yeah. That's a very general question. Um, so, uh, uh, so yeah, so, I mean, uh, uh, I think, I think one reason why data virtualization is kind of coming a lot, coming up a lot in the context of data mesh um, is that the data mesh itself really encourages uh, sort of teams of domain experts to to do their own thing. Uh, I'm not totally <laughs> there. I mean, obviously, there's there's coordination and some amount of uh, of um, you know federated governance uh, to some degree. But at the end of the day, um, you know, there's much more independence in the data mesh than you have in in other approaches to uh, to uh, data management within the enterprise. Uh, and so we really want to allow these teams uh, to to use the technologies they're most comfortable with. I mean, you're within some constraints, you know, we can't sort of allow anything. But uh, but you know, if if they feel more comfortable using technology Y or X, you don't really want to say don't do it. Uh, you know, and we don't want to sort of be forced to place you know you know our central team and sort of distribute them across so that you know individual teams and make you know have them sort of force them to use particular technologies. Like I think we want to have the teams be as independent as possible. And so, therefore, they may use different technologies. Uh, and so, as a result, um, it's sort of a natural, a natural sort of side effect of the data match. If 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 you if you give each domain as as much independence as possible, is that you will have different technologies in use within the enterprise. Uh, so, uh, so when you when you have that uh, that existence uh, of these different technologies. Uh, then what do you do when you want to create a data product, right? So, uh, so, uh, so generally speaking, a data product, you know, it can be based on a single source, but you know, the most powerful products, of course, involved bringing together data from different in different sources uh, and uh, uh, and even other products as well, and so sort of building upon product upon product and so on until you get to to uh, to you know some kind of end result at, at, at the data scientist or data analyst side. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, if you're going to be combining data from different locations and those, those sources and those initial early stage data products are using different, different technologies, then, uh, uh, then having tools which are capable of bringing data together from different technologies are, are very useful. 
And now the obvious question is going to be, you know, how much you want to push down, how much you want to pull and copy. Um, and, you know, and that's, you know, I think that's probably going to be something that we're going to discuss over the course of, of today. Uh, but, uh, but at the very least, bringing in as a, a data source from different locations uh, um, is is often best served through technologies which 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 know how to speak to different different types of sources and data virtualization technologies are, are very adept at speaking to different sources because of the fact they have to. That's sort of the whole reason that her is uh, is to to speak to to different sources. Right, and and so do you th- when you think about data virtualization and data mesh, do you think about this as what what a lot of vendors have been talking about is oh, just point us at your operational systems and then create your data products entirely within the data virtualization, which in the data virtualization product, which for me, I think can cause all sorts of problems. It can have performance problems, but would you see it as as either, there's, there's certain aspects of this where I could see it working really well. Again, going and grabbing information from multiple sources to land it into the data product and then you do the processing within the data product, but not the data virtualization product itself. And if you've got multiple different things that are, are processing, you've got multiple technologies that are processing, you could use it again to stitch that back, that information back together into a data product. Like, and then you could also think about when you talk about uh, downstream data products of using it to stitch together information from multiple sources to create another data product, but that, again, what Jamak has talked about is you want to bring data in kind of raw into a, a, a data product as it is in the source. You're not doing an ETL. You're not, you're not changing it. It's an EL, right? You're extracting and you're loading. And then the data product itself does the transformation. So that way the team manages that transformation. Is that how you th- you think about it as well, or do you think that there's a better way, or, or are you talking to people that are doing it in a different way? So I mean, I, I think I mean, yeah, you mentioned a lot of stuff there. So let's sort of unpack <laughs> yeah, it a little sorry. bit. Um, um, so you know, so I mean, so just start off with what you started off with. Um, so the you know part of what you're saying has been sort of a, a debate or at least you know the question has been around for like three decades or more really um in, in the data <laughs> management community uh so the question of whether you want to send your anal- analytical queries to your operational database systems that was you know 30 years ago in the 1990s like that was the big question right like do you want to have a data warehouse you take it out of your operational system put it in the data warehouse and create that or do you want to have your queries go to the transactional operational database system right and so back then the answer was definitely not right so like no way do you want to have these long queries, which grab these like locks, or, you know, so you know, to do like to do most data warehousing type workloads, what what do you do? You re- scan the whole table. You scan the table. You have to get relock the whole table. You can't write stuff to the table anymore because it has the whole. I mean, so it shows those queries get in the way of the operational queries, and it's just it's horrible. It just it didn't work. So that was sort of the whole reason why you know, Teradata and those types of companies that kind of took off where they said, you know, let's just take data out of the operational database, put it in the data warehouse and have all the scan type queries go to the data warehouse. Uh, that, you know, that was sort of, um, you know, that was like a major step forward to, to avoiding some of the conflict between operational workloads and analysis. Um, so uh, so that was definitely the right answer uh, 30 years ago. And it's still to some degree the right answer today as well. Uh, but I think we should acknowledge the existence of sort of, you know, the HTAP type of systems, um, you know, um, you know, those systems which sort of, uh, you know, are now designed to sort of handle both transactional and, and, and workloads and have sort of very good, uh, you know, sort of 
uh, you know, multi-version control, character control schemes to sort of prevent the long read queries from preventing from the, from the, from the write queries and, uh, uh, and avoiding too much conflict between the analytical workloads and the transactional workloads. Um, so, you know, to the extent that those systems are, are better now than they used to be, uh, the need to, to extract off uh, the analytical workloads to an entirely different system has gone down a little bit. There's still benefits to it. I don't think any system's got it perfect today, uh, but uh, you know, the, I guess the, the trend line, the direction is that um, is that we are getting better now at resource management um, and multi-version content control and all those things you need to make um, uh, operational and analytical workloads work together nicely. So, in theory, at least, you know, within a few years, uh, we could be seeing um, you know a case where uh, even Data products themselves can be made, um, you know, as a virtualization layer above operational workloads. Uh, but still, I mean, today, you know, it's dangerous, um, and you know, in many cases, um, you know, probably not something you want to do um, if you're if you're if um, you know if you're reaching out to sort of a simple MySQL or Postgres database, which, which um, well, Postgres has at least MVCC. It's not quite so bad, but uh, but still, I mean, in general, it's it's a little bit dangerous to. Uh, uh, to query those operational database, database systems as they are right now uh, with any kind of analytical workload, including data mesh workloads. Uh, so, so I, th- I think that that's that's one piece to what you're saying. Um, so, therefore, sort of you know, uh, um, one one goal therefore is to, uh, 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 as you mentioned, is to bring in data into a separate you know copy the data first EL into a into a data product, and then from there you try to do the transformations. Separately from uh, from where it originally existed, uh, but then there's also another piece of the question as well, which is that uh, you know that's all you know when you say operational it usually means sort of like you know you're doing a lot of rights to it right you know individual rights whether it's transactional whether it's sort of like you know simple inserts uh, but you're doing a lot of rights, but there are also sort of operational and local databases as well right so uh, so you may have a Teradata as an organization at that organization or you may have you know um, you know, a, a Hadoop cluster or a Spark cluster, which is doing most analysis, right? So, you know, those, you know, those are operational to the, in the sense that, you know, sort of you're using them to, to answer questions on a regular basis, but, uh, but they're designed for analysis and it's often less tricky to, uh, to be able to reach in on the fly and get data in a virtualization uh, scenario uh, without causing significant problems with the ongoing operational analysis going, going using those same, the same, uh, that same infrastructure. Yeah, and that's well. It's not. I don't think virtualization technology, but like Apache Hootie and things like that, where like we're, we're seeing those kind of querying, caching layers, and things like that, like of of ways where you don't have to do this huge scan of of how can we get data out of those big kind of uh, data lakey type setups. But so one other issue that that with even the HTAP kind of perspective is that you still need transformation because the way that data is stored for the, you know, if we want to call it an operational system, but like the application powering system that is able to do those transactions and things, it's not set up for analytical workloads. You know, the data isn't even in a format where you can do that. Like talking about even change data capture and things like that, that the the events that you're pushing out of that, it's about what happened or what changed in the application store in the way that the application store stores the data, not how people care about the actual data. And, and when you think about data versioning, 
and not just data product versioning, but data versioning. How do you think about data virtualization in that context? Do you have to change the way that you would build your application and, and that the way that you would um, store that where maybe it's all, you know, inserts or upserts or whatever, it's, it's updates, it's not overwriting, um, or I guess, I mean, yeah, I, I can't think of the exact wording, but that you're not overwriting what data was there, which, you know, for the operational systems in a lot of cases is what people care about. It's what what's the current information, not what, what was the historical information. So how do you think about that with data virtualization and data products, about that versioning and being able to roll forward and back and things? Yeah, so I think there are two pieces of that question as well. Um, so the first piece you asked sort of is, it's okay, it's all good, it's all good. But uh, the first piece I think you sort of asked is, you know, in some cases, even if you ignore the problem that we talked about before of um, of just, um, you know, sort of resource interference between analytical and transactional or operational workloads, you have a separate problem, which is that you often have uh, the data itself is not in a format that you want to query yet. And so you don't want to sort of continuously uh uh, you don't want to continuously sort of retransfer data every time. And if you use, if you use a virtualization uh, tool to, to get the data, and and part of that that processing involves transformation, then you then you have to sort of go through that process every single time you access it. You have to retransfer it every single time, and that's a problem. So that's one thing you mentioned. And then you talk about about uh, versioning, which is sort of another important issue which we should discuss as well. So let's let's let's, just, let's divide those two, two points separately. Um, so let's do the first one first. Um, so you know, as far as uh, uh, as far as the the retransforming data. Um, this is also <laughs> something that came out 30 years ago, right? So, you know, so one big debate then was was normalization versus denormalization, right? So, um, so, uh, so in the you know, if you take like a intro database class at pretty much any university these days, uh, you know, sort of you know, you get the sort of this theory of like uh, you know, uh, uh, BCNF versus three NF, you know, the different type of normal forms that you want to uh, you know. Uh, store your data in, right? And so basically the whole goal of all these different normal forms um, is to avoid uh, repeating data, right? So we want to sort of normalize the data as much as possible to avoid, if, if, if to avoid having to copy data in more, in more than one location in that table. Uh, so for example, um, if, um, you know, if let's say four people, you know, let's say in my family, um, you know, so we have, we have, uh, you know, in my house, we have six people currently living in my house, right? So, so, um, so if we were all in a database, right? And so we have Daniel Labardi, my address, and then my wife and, and, and same address, right? And so on, you have like six different records, all with the same address. Um, so that's considered bad in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, traditional normal forms, because you're repeating the whole address, the right thing to do would be to normalize that off, have a separate table for the address, and then have a pointer, uh, you know, or reference uh, to that address, only store the address once, and have each of us, six of us have uh, used that same reference to that same address. That's sort of how you do things in the in the operational side of things. But in the analytical side of things, it's often the reverse. You actually want to denormalize the data and have the address repeated because it's, it avoids the join at, at, at query time and join's often expensive. Um, and so, um, so in many cases, uh, denormalization, especially of a column store, um, you know, back in you know, going back to my PhD thesis uh, from from more than a decade ago, um, you know, it's it's really um, you know a very powerful tool to 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 improve query performance. Uh, so yes, so the answer. So basically, the answer to your question is absolutely. Um, if you want to store data differently when you analyze it, then when, then when, how to store right now operational uh, database, then for sure you want to move it first uh, into how you want to analyze it, and then you know that that requires a copy. Yes, it does require a copy, but. 
but that's you know it saves a lot of work down the road and now it's in the right it's in a a storage format and in a organization and in a schema that's optimal for 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 querying that the data so so again yes that would be a reason not to point the virtualization tool into the operational database system uh, still though it doesn't sort of get rid of the need for virtualization right so it's still the case that okay now I've transformed the data into a data product or into some other location somewhere else into a format that I want um, you know I still may want to combine it with other types of tools and then again you want to have the virtualization tool be able to sort of bring in data from that, this copy that you made over here with, with other data products or other data sources to uh, to bring it all together so I, I think uh, you know it's, um, uh, it doesn't remove the need for data virtualization, but it does um, indicate that you don't want to virtualize data in an operational database if it's not in the format that you want, right? So it's basically at the end of the day, there's two major reasons why you don't want to, you don't want to point directly to operational data database either because of the fact that um, it, it you don't want to. Uh, have the analysis interfere with, with the operations as resource contention. Number two, because the format is not correct um, or not optimal for how you want to analyze it. For both of those reasons, we uh, you may want to avoid reading data directly from the operational database um, in as part of the data mesh. So that's that's point number one. Then you brought up uh, versioning, which is a whole other discussion, which I think <laughs> is worth discussing too. Um, uh, to the extent that we have time to. Um, so um, so uh, so this is sort of a this is I think more of a uh, sort of modern question. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that in the old days, uh, you know, everything was just replace all data, right? We didn't, we didn't have a beat, storage was expensive and we didn't go ahead and sort of, um, you know, store two different versions of the same data item. No, we just delete the old version and replace it with the new version. That's how it always was. Um, and now of course storage is cheap um, uh, and getting cheaper. Um, and so now we're seeing keeping more versions around much more commonly, but now, you know, this is, this is a more of a, of a modern question. Uh, of how you want to deal with versioning, so uh, so I think uh, I think one one thing that that maybe worth discussing at this point is is a view a data product, right? So um, so if I have a uh, in, in the data mesh we're talking about, of course. Um, so you know if I have a if I have a uh, a data a, a table somewhere, it doesn't matter really where it is, whether it's an identical store or a transactional store, it doesn't really matter. I have a table. And I want to create a data product where I change it in some way. Let's go with like a really simple example. Let's say that I want to just, you know, I have five columns and I want to add a derived column. I want to add a sixth column, which looks at the previous five columns and does some calculation, you know, it adds some score to this particular row, you know, based on the other values of the other five columns, right? So, um, so you know, it's a very basic thing. It's, it's just basically, I want to, my data product is basically just code. Right? I want to just go ahead and, and, Read some data uh, in a, in a row uh, uh, and add some new data based on on what I've read in that same row, right? So, uh, so there's two ways to do this, right? So one way, uh, I mean, there's more than two ways really, but let's let's focus on two possible ways to do this, right? So one one way is I can create a view. Right? Let's say that my underlying table is in a relational database system, right? So uh, so uh, and it has a SQL interface, or whatever, right? So I can create a view uh, and I can uh, read. Uh, you know, sort of, I can say, you know, so that, you know, I can de declare my transformation in terms of a SQL query, right? To read the, uh, you know, select uh, star, comma, my new thing that I'm adding to this table from this table, right? So that's basically, it's a very simple view. I'm adding just a little bit of uh, um, oh, an extra column to my original table. Maybe that requires a UDF to do the actual, um, you know, creation of, of, of the new data, but, uh, or maybe not, depending on how, how complicated it is. Uh, either way, it's basically just a SQL transformation um, uh, of a data to express as a view. So that's one option. It's still, it's, it's where it is. And all I've done is I just created a view and I've called it a data product. Right? That's one option. The other option is I can copy the table into a you know new location, either in the same underlying 
you know database system or in a different database system depending on what I prefer. You know, basically, you know, if I'm a domain, you know, that that you know is creating a data product, I can choose you know what I want to use. I can copy into new into a new system or the same system doesn't really matter. But I've copied it and now I've created another copy. Uh, of this data with this extra column in there, which had which has new value, which we didn't have before. Now I want to go ahead and serve this as a product to the rest of my of, of, of uh, to other teams within my enterprise. So uh, so there's a sort of basic trade off here, right? So there's no right answer, in my opinion, anyway. This this is more of an opinion type thing, but in my opinion, there's no right answer here, right? So there's a basic trade off here. If I do the copy, uh, then you know, so number one, you know, that costs extra money. Presumably, you know, storage isn't free, right? So there is some amount of, of overhead to copying data. Of course, it's not that expensive, but there's some amount of overhead to copying the data. That's one issue. Um, if I were to copy it, another issue is the some amount of staleness now, right? So if I wanted to. Um, uh, if, if 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 I would up if I add new rows to my source data, uh, then uh, those new inserts don't exist yet in my data product until I add them. So that's either good or bad, right? It's 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 good in that, and I know they're not there yet until I can version them. I know sort of in batches when they came, and I can sort of add certain notations and um, documentation to to as the product evolves. On the other hand, it's it's not there immediately, right? So there's some delay before it arrives. I have to go and read it again. I have to have some regular basis, regular you know, cr- you know cr- some some job that goes and and reads the old data um, and 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 finds the new records and adds them to my new data product. That that that, that that's some overhead to that, um, and a certain staleness to my data product by by not expressing it as a view on the original data. So uh, so you know. What it comes down to is what do you want as as a uh, as a enterprise as as a as a data product creator really um, you know what is the experience I want for my end user do I want my data to be immediately available do I, do I want uh, you know do I want really is what I'm, is the basic value add that I'm adding to to this data that I'm giving to my to other teams is it basically just code uh, and in which case then uh, I probably want to express it as a view because that way. The, the code is always running, sort of like you know, as soon as they, whenever they, they query the original data, they get the, the, all the new the, all the new records were added with my code. It's already there. There's no there's no sort of staleness to, to uh, 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 there was no delay before the new records are, are affected by the data product, or is it really just um, or is what I'm presenting to the rest of, of the enterprise not really code, but really just its own. Uh, separate data set. Like I, I want this to be considered you know, sort of mentally as, as, as you know as you think about it as a as a separate data set, which which is not code. It's just really a separate thing. Even though it's based, it's derived from original data set. I want to keep them separate, not for not for performance reasons, and not for uh, 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 any kind of sort of data organization reasons, but just because I just I think of it as a separate as a separate thing. I want it. I want to be considered separately from each other. Uh, in which case, then the, you know copying it probably makes more sense. Uh, so, um, so you know, in my opinion, I think that, 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 that there's no right answer here. They both they both work, and it really depends on how you want to think about it, of what it is you're adding, what is the product, uh, and and then what you choose depends on on what it is you're adding. Uh, so yeah, so and certainly, of course, if, if if you want it to be a view, that's more reason why you know it's another reason why you you know data virtualization is helpful. If you if you want it to not be a view, if you want it to be a separate physical copy, uh, then you know then there's less reason to uh, at least from that standpoint to use a data virtualization software. Uh, but uh, but still, I mean, uh, again, for other reasons you mentioned before, still you may want to combine other things that you, you know the other reasons why it could be useful. But uh, but uh, but that that question, I think that, that both answers are right depending on the context. Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of one of the main frustrations around data mesh is that it's uh, your mileage may vary, and this is uh, highly dependent on your own organization and things like that. I think 
if you're talking about what, if the first thing that you were talking about was a data product and the second thing was a data product, the answer is you just mer merge that into the original data product. And if people don't want that sixth column, they just don't take that sixth column in their query, right? You know, like that, that, but if the original is the operating system, it's a, a, a relational database and it's like used to power something else, then um, yes, exactly what you're talking about. But we, we do have, I'm, I'm seeing this emerging concept of swimming queries upstream or pushing queries upstream where it's like, hey, you know, this is derived from three different data products, but like, couldn't we just push this into the original upstream data product and that it's just another, you know, it might be a, a table within that. It might be a, however you want to think about that view concept. And I, I'm, not really familiar with the exact definition of it. So, um, but like that you have that and you just push that upstream so that every, you don't keep having the same downstream things do those same transactions to get to the same data that you can, as far as you can push it upstream, then people can go to the source as well. And that, that you just evolve your data product in that way. It's, it's interesting concept, but again, it's exactly what you said. You're both are right. Like, <laughs> so um, we, we are coming up on, on time here, but, uh, you know, I know I opened a lot of Pandora's box, uh, of, of different topics, but is there anything that you wanted to make sure that, that people are aware of relative to data virtualization and data mesh? It sounds like you're kind of of the opinion of it has its uses, but like, be careful with it. It can, it can send you down bad paths, but like, it's also a very, very useful tool. So, Look at it where it makes sense, but don't try to apply it to everything. I, I don't want to speak for you. So if that's true or, or not true, please push back. But is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to more or have people circle back with you maybe even on? Sure. I, I think, yeah, so it's, I think it's one thing that hasn't come up yet that I think is worth mentioning. Um, so I wrote a blog post on uh, data federation, um, a data virtualization, I think it was around, I don't know, maybe like six months ago. I can't remember the exact date it was, um, but uh <laughs> Um, but I, um, I, th I think uh, one key thing that I mentioned in that blog post is that uh, is that these words, data virtualization, data federation, often sort of, you know, they bring fear to the hearts of many people. Um, so people sort of like, uh, you know, you know, you know, especially data federation, it's, it's been around a long time. You know, sort of, um, you know, my advisor, you know, uh, Mike Stonebreaker, you know, he had a company, uh, I think it was called Cohera back in like the turn of the century or so, uh, you know, that uh, they were doing these things. And, 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 you know, we've been, we've been, you know, we've had this dream forever of, of being able to sort of bring data from different databases in one query and things going well. And it's, it's, it's always been harder than you think it is. <laughs> you know, sort of there's, there's a bunch of challenges involved in it. Number one, you have to be, you know, the virtualization tool, the federation tool has to be able to speak the language of all the underlying systems. They have to, uh, um, they have to be able to sort of understand the performance or the cost of, of executing queries on all these underlying systems. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and the, the basic process of query optimization, when you're running a query and dividing it across different systems is extremely hard. Um, and, you know, basically never really worked. Um, you know, there was a great paper, I think it was called Mary Poser, I think it was called back in, again, around that same time frame, but around two decades ago or so, uh, that sort of had this whole economic model. It's my, one of my favorite papers that exists, which, which nobody uses today. Like, it's, it's like the idea just totally, you know, never got hit the real world. Uh, but I love, like, the theory of it. Like, it's, it's so amazing um, uh, of how to do optimization across, you know, when, when, you, when you're dealing with, with input data from, from different systems. But anyway, like, the bottom line is, is that 
none of this stuff ever really worked <laughs> in practice. Um, uh, and so it, as a result, these technologies got bad names. Um, and so, you know, people sort of assume when you hear the word data visualization, data validation, you kind of assume it doesn't scale, doesn't work, you know, sort of all these, you know, you know, these uh, stigmas associated with them. Uh, but I think just one thing that I brought up in this post six months ago is that, you know, that things have changed. Um, uh, and the most important thing that has changed is networks. Uh, networks are much faster now than they used to be. Uh, and, uh, um, and as a result, the basic process of how you do data virtualization is, is totally different now. It used to be that you had to push everything down. You have a query coming in, you would divide it into pieces, and you push it down to the underlying systems. You run the queries there. And then as little as possible, you would send it back to the virtualization layer to do the final sort of stitching together the final results and send, sending to the end user. Uh, and that is what caused a lot of the problems because because you're pushing too much stuff down, you have to understand how the optimization works in all different systems and how they speak the languages and so on. That was very complicated. Uh, but now that networks are so fast, the whole process is different now. Now what we do is we pull everything up, sort of, you know, we take just mostly just the raw data of the underlying systems uh, and, you know, with very little change, we, we do run some very, very basic section predicates and, and you know, simple um, uh, filters of data. And we bring the rest of the data up into the virtualization layer and almost everything gets on there. So, uh, so you don't have to worry, you know, so now basically, since most of the query is done in the virtualization layer, you don't have to worry about query optimization, you know, at different systems. It's all done in one system. Um, and, you know, the extraction is much simpler now because you're extracting just basically mostly raw data rather than, you know, pre-processed data. Um, so as a result, it's become much simpler and much faster and more scalable than it used to be. Um, so I guess I would encourage your, your listeners to uh, sort of... Uh, uh, you know, rethink, you know, <laughs> some of the stigma associated with data virtualization. It's actually much better than it used to be. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and, and I think it's, it's more of a viable solution than, than it was even in, even five years ago. Um, you know, I mean, really, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I don't like to mention individual companies, but, you know, as far as open source tools, you know, like Presto and, and Trino, um, you know, sort of, they really, you know, you know, you wouldn't really think of them as, as, as data virtualization tools, right? You really, really would think of them as, uh, 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 as uh, as query execution engines, really, they're just sort of like they're basically just a giant execution engine that, that takes data and processes it. But at the end of the day, that's how we do virtualization these days and, and federation these days. So really, the truth is is that Trino uh, is is it's very easy to see it as a as a modern data data virtualization tool that and that works very differently than, than the way we did things you know, for, for decades and decades. Anyway, so I, I'll stop there. But but uh, but no, it's. No, no. It's That's very, very, very useful. And well, and I think the, um, again, where, where I have problems with data virtualization and data mesh is, is again, people trying to say, we'll just go into all of your operational systems and you just create the data product and we'll, we'll handle all of it. And it's like, well, that separation means that you become a bottleneck and that you're a single point of failure and that, you know, all of your challenges, people can't choose the different tools to actually do that. So you become a, a challenge, but something like, you know, uh, Trino or whatever just makes sense because it is, we have the ability to scale out when of, of something that absorbs that data and can process it very, very quickly that it's optimized exactly as you said, where you don't have to then sub-optimize every single query for every system. So this, exactly. this was a phenomenal conversation. Uh, re really enjoyed it. Uh, um, I'll drop 
your links in the show notes for how people can get in contact if they want to follow up? Is there anything where, where you want people to be sending you more information rather than coming to you to try and answer questions? But like, if, is there anything that you want to hear about what people are doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you know, I'm always interested in hearing about real data mesh, you know, implementations. Um, so, you know, if, you know, if, um, you're sending me pointers to, you know, to write-ups of, of, you know, what you do as a company and, and how you use data mesh. I think, you know, uh, my lab is really sort of getting more focused into it. You know, I have a PhD student right now looking into, um, into you know, sort of some core data mesh questions. Um, and so, you know, any kind of research questions that come up, I, I think are, um, I'm, you know, I really would love to hear those from, from practitioners out there. Okay. Well, and there is in the data mesh learning Slack, there is a, a channel called Academic Papers. So there's... There, there are a few that have come out and and uh, as people are looking to put out their stuff, I know it can be a little squirrely around research as to what people are sharing about, but like uh, it's it's a good resource for people. So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Abadi, and thank you everyone for listening. I'd like to thank my guest today, Dr. Daniel Abadi, tenured professor of computer science at the University of Maryland. As always, you can find links to his social media and the posts he mentioned in the show notes. And as I'm saying a lot this week, one, please make sure to sign up for the Data Mesh Summit using the link in the show notes. And two, please thank Starburst for providing transcripts so we can get more of them. Accessibility matters. Thanks. One last reminder to sign up for the Data Mesh Summit by clicking through the link in the show notes. Again, this will show Starburst that a partnership with Data Mesh Radio is a good thing and that we can get transcripts for more episodes going forward. Thanks. Please enjoy this outro music as provided by Rathin Sauni, who's a solution architect at Starburst and goes by the name of DJ Mesh. It is almost three minutes long, so I want to make sure people are aware of that.
is 